Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, are you afraid to call out immoral positions or immoral behavior in the public square because you don't want to be seen as intolerant or exclusive? You don't want to be seen as imposing your values on people? Well, ladies and gentlemen, are they really your values or are they the values? And when we say values, does that mean they're subjective or are there certain behaviors that are good and other behaviors that are bad? Well, anyone who's a Christian or anyone who believes in natural law understands there are behaviors that are objectively good and objectively bad. So why would we be afraid if we thought we interpreted the natural law properly, which, by the way, is consistent with the Bible? Why would we be afraid in the public square to say this is right and this is wrong? You don't want to be seen as intolerant or exclusive. Ladies and gentlemen, all positions are intolerant in the sense that they exclude their opposites. For example, the pro-life position doesn't tolerate abortion, but the pro-abortion position doesn't tolerate legally protecting life. They're opposites. They both are trying to impose a moral position. And as you know, or maybe you don't, because a lot of people think you can't legislate morality, the truth is all laws legislate morality. All laws declare one behavior right and the opposite behavior wrong. You can't think of a law that doesn't legislate a moral position. Or if we're not talking about politics per se, but just talking to our friends and relatives about these issues, regardless of what side of any debate they're on, they're arguing from a moral position. The question is, what is the standard that you're using to say that this position is right and your position is wrong? So pro-life doesn't tolerate abortion. Pro-abortion doesn't tolerate pro-life. Protecting children doesn't tolerate child mutilation or sterilization, but transgenderism, the opposite position, doesn't tolerate preventing child mutilation or sterilization. They think that's a good thing because they think they say, anyway, it's going to help the child. Free speech doesn't tolerate censorship, but censorship doesn't tolerate free speech. You see, every position doesn't tolerate and doesn't exclude its opposite or doesn't include its opposite it excludes its opposite this is true in just basic truths two plus two doesn't tolerate any other answer than four if you want to be correct it excludes every other answer than four and like math morality is the same way if there is an objective moral standard then any answer other than the correct answer is wrong and the correct answer excludes all incorrect answers. If it's wrong to murder, that excludes anybody who says it's right to murder. And by the way, when we say the word intolerant, are we supposed to tolerate everything? Because the mark of a dying civilization is that we tolerate everything. 
You can't tolerate everything. Are we supposed to tolerate evil? Are we supposed to tolerate murder? Are we supposed to tolerate rape? Are we supposed to tolerate slavery? Are we supposed to tolerate child abuse? Are we supposed to tolerate censorship of the gospel? No, we're not supposed to tolerate those things. We must be intolerant of evil. And as I've said before in this program, love does not require approval. In fact, love requires that we be intolerant of anything that's going to hurt the loved one. Because love seeks what's best for the loved one. And so you must be intolerant of evil. Every parent knows this. If you tolerate everything your 12-year-old wants to do, you're not, toler you're not loving. You're, you're actually enabling. You're unloving. Because you're allowing your 12-year-old to do something that's going to hurt him or her or someone else. Because they're doing evil. You need to stand in the way of evil. Now, Jesus, who famously said, love your neighbor, actually got that from Leviticus 19. I mentioned this a few weeks ago here on the podcast. Let's go back to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, of course, is part of the Old Covenant. And uh, it's uh, a passage that a lot of people overlook because when you get to your yearly Bible study, if you try and go through the Bible in a year, as soon as you get to the book of Levititus, you go, okay, that's enough of this. Let me move on. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, Leviticus can be a problem. But there is some laws in here that Jesus actually quotes. One of them is love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pick it up in Leviticus 19. Beginning in verse 15, it says, do not pervert justice. In fact, this this path, these four verses here have a lot to say to our society. Even though they're old covenant and they were apply, they were to apply just to ancient Israel, we will see that they're also repeated in the New Testament. But in any event, here's what it says. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Whoop, there goes CRT right there. There goes wokeism right there, because you're not supposed to pervert justice. You're not just you're not to show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. You're supposed to judge your neighbor fairly based on their behavior, not based on their identity group. And by the way, as I record this today, this is Thursday, the 29th. Today, the Supreme Court just came out and said enough with affirmative action when it comes to college admissions. Enough trying to use race to give favoritism to certain people, which automatically means you're disfavoring other people. Well, it's about time because that's just another form of racism trying to fix old racism. You don't fix old racism with new racism. You do, as what Leviticus says here, do not show partiality or favoritism. Judge your neighbor fairly, whether they're rich or poor. Verse 16, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Well, there goes the internet. <laughs> there goes social media, much of social media. There goes all those little little, little uh, snarky comments you make on Facebook or on Instagram or on YouTube or wherever you do, or TikTok, right? You're spreading slander. Knock it off. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Now, verse 17. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. 
Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Then it says, keep my decrees. Now notice, verse 17 says, rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in the guilt. The implication here is, is if you know your neighbor's doing something wrong and you don't try and correct him, you're guilty too. And that's part of loving your neighbor. That's what the next verse says. So the idea that you're supposed to approve of what everyone wants to do, and that's loving, is completely refuted by the scripture here. It's also completely refuted by common sense. Because if you don't tell people who are about to harm themselves or others that they're about to harm themselves or others, then you're not loving, you're enabling. So you shouldn't be afraid to speak the truth in the public square for people who are advocating an immoral position. And by the way, I'm tired of the word inappropriate. Everyone's using the word inappropriate as if it's like wearing white after Labor Day. You know, as if it's some kind of custom. No, it's not just inappropriate, it's immoral. It's not just inappropriate to inappropriate to, to mutilate children and, the, and to cut off their genitals. It's immoral. It's not just a matter of taste. It's a matter of violating the standard that is God's nature. Because people are made in the image of God and you don't mutilate them for some sort of possible, what you think could be a possible benefit down the road. No, mutilation is not the answer. You can't fix a psychological problem with surgery in most cases you need psychiatry you need cognitive therapy you need prayer you need counseling anyway well we're going to pick this up right after the break you're listening to i don't have enough faith to be an atheist with me frank turk on the american family radio network our website is crossexamined.org don't forget about the cross-examined app too i don't mention that enough two words in the app store cross-examined we're back in two minutes We're coming up on Independence Day, July 4th. The famous passage from the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created and endowed by their government. No, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. By the way, why is life stated first? Because the right to life is the right to all other rights. If you don't have life, you don't have anything. And then governments are instituted among men to secure these rights. And when governments don't secure the rights that are given to us by our creator, then according to Jefferson and the founders, the people have a right to a new government. That's what the Declaration of Independence was all about. We're declaring ourselves independent of King George because King George is legislating immorally. In fact, if you read the Declaration of Independence, it's just one long list of immoral things, immoral legislations or immoral edicts that King George has foisted on the colonists. And so they're saying, enough of this. We want a moral government. We'll be our own government here. We're going to create our own government, the Continental Congress. And then, of course, in 1791 or 1787, they passed the Constitution. In 1791, they passed the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the Constitution. And ever since then, we've been ignoring it. <laughs> okay, so here we are, 247 years later. And uh, what Jefferson said in the Declaration of Independence remains true today, that these basic laws of morality are self-evident because they've been They've actually been put on our hearts, as Paul says in Romans 12, by, in Romans 2, I should say, by our creator. 
We know it's wrong to murder. We know it's wrong to rape. We know certain aspects of reality are wrong. In fact, the founders even knew slavery was wrong. They just didn't, they couldn't figure out how to get rid of it at that time. Jefferson, although he owned slaves, knew what he was doing was wrong. He actually wrote about it. And it took a civil war to finally get rid of chattel slavery. In any event, we're talking today here about the idea that you ought not be afraid to call out immoral positions or immoral behavior. Because every position, no matter whether you are on the right or the left, doesn't tolerate the other side. It excludes the other side in the sense that it says, if this position is right, the opposite position is wrong. If pro-life is right, pro-abortion is wrong. If pro-abortion is right, pro-life is wrong. Those are both moral positions, no matter which side you're on. The only question is, are you on the right side? I'm reminded of, of someone who asked President Lincoln during the Civil War, do you think God is on our side regarding the Civil War? And Lincoln said, let us pray we are on God's side. You see, we don't, we don't create right and wrong. We don't create a standard and say, God, would you approve the standard? No, God has given us the standard, given us the standard, and we are to adhere to that standard. When we deviate from that standard, we're wrong. God isn't wrong. That's, that's the problem with progressive Christianity. They think they're right, and Jesus is wrong. They think their moral standards are correct and the Bibles are wrong. Well, don't call yourself a Christian then if you're disagreeing with Jesus. What's the point? Just call yourself some other kind of religion, but you're not a Christian when you're disagreeing with Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're agreeing with Jesus and his apostles. So, we just pointed out before the break that when Jesus says, love your neighbor, he's actually quoting from Exodus, I'm sorry, Leviticus 19. And in order to love your neighbor, according to Leviticus 19, you need to rebuke your neighbor, neighbor frankly, when he's wrong, so you don't share in his guilt. Now, you might say, well, Frank, but the law, the Old Testament law isn't binding today. Leviticus, the laws of Leviticus are just for Israel. And in one sense, you're right, but in another sense, you're wrong, because when those laws are repeated in the New Testament, they are binding on Christians. And they are repeated. In fact, even in the Old Testament, in uh, Proverbs, which is still a, a series of, of uh, wisdom statements that are still applicable to us today, Proverbs 27.5 says, Jesus, or sorry, says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Yeah, it's better to tell people they're about to do something wrong and ought not do it than to say nothing when you love them. Now, what does Jesus say about rebuke? Well, let's go to Luke chapter 17. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples, quote, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves, little ones. He's talking about kids at this point. Gee, all these people out here advocating child mutilation, advocating sterilization of kids, advocating the murder of kids in the womb or even sometimes outside the womb. It would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and have you thrown into the sea 
than to do what you're doing. That's just a warning. Jesus says, so watch yourselves. Then he goes on to say in verse 3, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. So Jesus is about forgiveness, but he's also about repentance. And he's also for rebuking. Rebuking people who are doing evil. In fact, if you think Jesus was a sweet guy who's never said a bad word about anyone, you haven't read the Bible. I just read a passage here from Luke 17. Nor have you thought about John chapter 2, John chapter 8, or Matthew chapter 23. What happens in John chapter 2? Jesus makes a whip and he goes and he jacks people up in the temple. Sweet and gentle Jesus did this? Yes! And then in John chapter 8, he's having an argument with the Pharisees. And who were the Pharisees? They were the religious politicians of the day. They were on the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, that Rome delegated much of the day-to-day -day legal and lawmaking authority to. These were the politicians of the day, and Jesus went after these people. Are you telling me Jesus got involved in politics? Yes! <laughs> He's rebuking the politicians, the Pharisees. And if you think he was a sweet guy who never would do such a thing, you haven't read John chapter 8 either, because right in the middle of an argument he's having with these people, he stops and he says, your father is the devil. Jesus, you can't say that. That's not very Christ-like. Excuse me, I am Christ? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine you're having an argument with somebody and you stop and you say, your father is the devil. Never try that with a sibling, by the way. No, no. I mean, Jesus, he rebukes them directly. He calls them basically sons of Satan. So don't buy into this idea that you can't correct people, especially those that are doing immoral things. And as you know, Jesus goes after the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. At one point, he even says, you're tithing your spices, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. Yeah. The weightier matters. We're telling people in this country what light bulbs they can and can't use, what straws they can and can't use, what cars they can and can't drive. But we're not telling them, don't mutilate your children. We're not telling them, don't kill your children. Are we neglecting the weightier matters of the law? Yeah, we are. And you know why we are? Because Christians are silent. Ladies and gentlemen, should Christians care how other people are treated? Of course, what Christian is going to say no? Second question, should Christians care how people are treated by their government? Well, of course, if we should care how people are treated, we should care how people are treated by everyone, including their government. Welcome to politics, ladies and gentlemen. You can't avoid it. But even if we're not talking politics, even if we're talking about just people in our lives, should you care how other people are treated? Of course. So you want to seek what's best for them. And sometimes in order to show people what's best for them, you need to gently rebuke them for the position they're taking because they're not helping themselves or others. And of course, Jesus really goes off on the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. In other words, you're majoring in the minors. Oh, you look great on the outside. 
You're whitewashed tombs, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You go a mile to make a convert, and then once you make them a convert, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. How will you avoid being condemned to hell? What? Sweet and gentle Jesus said this? Yes, Jesus was not Barney. Can't we all get along, boys and girls? No! I came to bring a sword. It's going to divide mother and daughter, father and son. How often do you hear those verses preached, by the way? Yeah, people don't really, they don't preach those verses very often. Why? Oh, Jesus is all about love and unity. No, he's all about truth, and he wants the church to be unified around the truth. But he said, and look, you, you know this verse, these passages are true here. Why? Because some of you who are Christians are divided in your own family over Jesus. He's going to separate mother and daughter, father and son. Who are you going to follow? Jesus will cause people to be separated. And of course, Jesus also said, if you'll love me, you'll keep my commandments. Leviticus 19, 19 says, keep my decrees. Okay. Jesus says the same thing. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you don't follow the commandments, then Jesus says for another believer to come along and rebuke you. Paul says the same thing. Paul talks about rebuke. In Galatians 5, 5.11, he says this, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes things that makes everything visible. Yeah, you're supposed to bring things to light. Expose the fruitless deeds of darkness, says Paul. That means calling them out. You know, the best disinfectant is sunlight, said a Supreme Court justice many years ago. I think it was Brandeis who said that. That has to do, he was talking in a political context. In other words, free speech. Uh, transparency in government. That's the best disinfectant. When people see really what's going on, when the light of truth comes on it, then normally evil will stop. You've probably heard nothing good happens after midnight. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light. When you put the light of truth on darkness, the people who are doing the evil are going to shriek and probably come after you, but they're probably not going to continue to do the evil if you bring the light on it uh, well enough. Some will. I mean, we've seen it now. We've seen the drag queens. Have you seen the drag queens in New York saying, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children? Yeah, this isn't about children, is it? No, it is, ladies and gentlemen. It's the so-called Pride Month, one of the seven deadly sins. They're coming for our children. And we're not going to speak up against it. We don't love our children if we don't. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek back in two minutes. Are you afraid to speak the truth about moral issues in the public square? Because you're afraid you might come across as intolerant or exclusive. Newsflash, no matter what moral position you take, whether it's on the right or the left or anywhere in between, you're taking a moral position that excludes its opposite. All laws legislate morality. Every moral position excludes its opposite. It's impossible not to. Or it's impossible to be morally neutral. The only way to be morally neutral is to say nothing about a topic. But as soon as you come out on either side, you are actually taking a moral position which excludes its opposite. Now, 
I want to get into this a little bit more here in just a minute. I want to mention we have a fun online course coming up called Why Can't You Be Normal Just Like Me? It has to do with personality differences. No, it's not the Enneagram, okay? It's whatever that is. It's uh, DISC. It's a personality profile I used for many years in corporate America, and I find it very, uh, very intuitive and very helpful uh, in your personal uh, relationships and also in your professional relationships and your ability to evangelize because people... Uh, are wired in different ways, and some people are task-oriented, other people are people-oriented. Some people are fast and outgoing, other people are reserved and introverted, and you need to be able to diagnose where people are if you're going to have a better relationship uh, with them, both personally, professionally, and evangelistically. So you may want to check out Why Can't You Be Normal Just Like Me. It runs this August, but we got a ton of other self-paced courses. Jesus versus the culture, I teach that. The Return of the God Hypothesis, Stephen Meyer teaches that. These are all courses you can take this summer when you're not taking something else. I teach the Great Book of Romans. Uh, we've got Is Hell Real with Shanda Fulbright. That's a, uh, uh, actually a a course for kids. Let's get real with Shander Fulbright. That's for sixth to eighth graders. Apologetics. Uh, bring engaging LGBTQ conversations with compassion and clarity. We've got stealing from God. We've got Jay Warner Wallace, uh, cold case Christianity. What else do we have? How to interpret your Bible? I teach that. We've got reaching and equipping Gen Z with Sean McDowell and Jay Warner Wallace. We've got progressive Christianity with Elisa Childers. Why does God allow evil with Clay Jones? We've got how to be pro-life or how to convince people to be pro-life with the great Scott Klusendorf. Many other courses, including Gary Habermas from, from Jay Warner Wallace, from Dan Wallace. It's all out there. Check it out. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, and you'll see them there. A great way to get an education this summer when you're not going to school. You might as well keep learning, and those courses are designed to do that. Uh, on some of the issues that are most relevant to Christianity. All right, we're talking about the idea that not only does the Old Testament talk about rebuking people who are in error morally, so does the New Testament. We talked about Jesus doing it. We just talked about Paul. Here's another passage from Paul in 1 Timothy 5.20. He says this, those who, are, who, who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. By the way, do you know that Paul called out, I think, five different false teachers in his letters on six different occasions. He didn't call out all five, but on one guy he called out twice. So, I mean, here's Paul calling out false teachers in the Bible. If he does that, he's a true sheepdog, right? He's, he's keeping the wolves away from the sheep. So we can do that as well and ought to do that. We ought to rebuke people who are teaching falsely. And for some reason, I mean, this is in the Bible. For some reason, Christians are afraid to do this. Here in Charlotte, we have a pastor. Her name is Loran Livingston, a great pastor up at Central Church of God. In fact, I just got teaching a four-week course up there. And I remember Loran, this must be about 10 years ago. <laughs> he, he, he was preaching uh, one week against the prosperity gospel preachers, people like Kenneth Hagin and uh, Kenneth Copeland, I'm getting those names right. I don't know these guys personally myself, but I know their teachings are I mean, even Joel Osteen. You know, Joel Osteen is out there in prosperity gospel land. And you're going, what are you doing, man? You're ignoring the scriptures. Anyway, um, Loran names these people. And the next the, during that week, uh, he gets a bunch of emails from uh, people in his congregation going, oh, pastor, you ought not name people. You ought to just preach Jesus. So the next week, Loran gets up on the uh, pastor Loran gets up on the podium and he says, uh, he says, I got a bunch of email from you. You said, I ought not preach, uh, uh, I ought not name names of false teachers. I ought to just preach Jesus. He 
said, let me ask you a question. Suppose I were to stand up here right now and say, I just learned that some of the uh, teachers on our staff here at Central Church of God uh, are uh, actually introducing your children to pornography and drugs. What would be your first question? Who are they? Suppose I say, oh, well, I can't tell you who they are, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to preach Jesus this Sunday. You'd be furious with me, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd be like, no, I didn't know who they are. And I need to protect my kids. Exactly. As bad as pornography and drugs are, they're not necessarily going to, uh, they're not necessarily going to send you to hell. You can still repent from it. But if you got a false teacher who gives you a false gospel and you don't repent and you don't get the true gospel, that can have eternal consequences. That's even more serious than some of the immoral things our children get into. We have to rebuke teachers publicly who are teaching things falsely. As Paul says, those who sin are to rebuke publicly so that others may take warning. And in his final chapter of his final book, here's what Paul says. This is 2 Timothy 4. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And then he goes on to say this famous passage. And let me know if you think this sounds like our culture today, even in the church. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. One of those duties, ladies and gentlemen, is what Paul already said, that you need to rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So, the Old Testament talks about rebuking error morally. The New Testament talks about rebuking error morally, including Jesus and Paul. And if you think about this, ladies and gentlemen, just from a natural law perspective, from a philosophical perspective, everyone on every moral issue is arguing from some moral standard. The question is, what is that moral standard if not God? You say, you, you can't impose God on us. Why not? Would that be immoral? You see, it's still a moral position to say you ought not impose God on us. Where are you getting that standard that you ought not impose God on us? Now, we may agree that in our country anyway, that you have freedom of religion and you ought to have freedom of religion. We think in every country, which means we're not imposing God on you in the sense that, you know, you got to be a member of this church. You got to go to you got to engage in certain rites and rituals. You know, you have to be a member here. No, we're not saying that. In fact, we're not trying to legislate religion. We're trying to legislate morality and all laws legislate morality. We're not telling people where, when, how, or if to worship. That would be legislating religion, but we can't avoid telling people how they ought to treat one another. And that's legislating morality. And everyone's trying to do that, even atheists. The only question is, what is your moral standard by which you're coming up with your moral positions? So you ought not be afraid because you're backed up by God. If you're interpreting God correctly through his natural law and through his scripture. And of course, we're, you're interpreting him correctly when you say you ought not murder people. Of course, you're interpreting him correctly when you say you ought not rape or you ought not steal or you ought not mutilate children. There should be no question about that. But some people kick up a lot of dust. They suppress the truth so long that 
their thinking becomes futile, as Paul says, and especially around the sexual issues, as Paul says in Romans 1, to the point that God has given them up completely, and these people are not only doing evil, they're encouraging other people to do evil, including governors like Governor Hochul up there, whatever her name is, up there in New York. She's signing bills that say, oh, yeah, we're a haven for we're a haven for uh, children that want to come here and mutilate their bodies or parents that want to bring their children here to mutilate their bodies. We're a haven for, we're a haven for abortion all the way up to the second of birth. Well, that's a moral position. You think people have a moral right to kill their children up to the moment of birth and sometimes even after. after. By what moral standard is that, a, is that right and true and good? Where, do you, where are you coming up with this? You're so detached from reality. You've been suppressing the truth so long that you actually think this is a good thing and you're celebrating it. Gavin Newsom out there in California wants to pay people to come to California and have their children aborted. Or their, their children mutilated. Where are you coming up with this demented? This is demented. What, what happened to abortion being safe, legal, and rare when Bill Clinton was in office? Of course, that rhetoric didn't go anywhere. He was... He was saying safely, what, what, first of all, why should, why should it be rare at all if there's nothing wrong with it? And why should it be safe and legal if there is something wrong with it? But in any event, back then, at least 30 years ago, at least people realized, okay, this is not a good thing, but we're going to tolerate it. Now they're celebrating it. You know, it goes from you need to tolerate it to you need to accept it to you need to celebrate it to you need to participate in it. You need to send your money in so we can pay for it and you can pay for it. Hmm. That's madness. So everyone's trying to legislate a moral position. All laws legislate morality. You need to call people on this. We're not legislating religion, but God must exist for an objective moral standard to exist. Otherwise, it's just your opinion. It's just Hitler's opinion against Mother Teresa's opinion. It's just the Allies' opinion against the Nazi opinion. If there is no God, there's, there's no adjudication. There's no justice because people don't get justice here on earth completely. A lot of people get away with murder. They're never brought to justice. There is no God. First of all, there is no justice. Secondly, it can never be done because a lot of people get away with murder. Every political position, every personal position on these issues assumes some kind of moral standard. You need to ask people, what is your moral standard? Where does it come from? Now, again, we're not saying you have to believe in God or to be a certain religion. We are saying that without God, there are no moral rights, including the moral right that you shouldn't be forced to be a member of a church. You see, you're going to say, oh, well, you can't impose your religion. Why not? Why can't I? If there's no God, I can make up my own religion and just use power to impose it on you. There's nothing wrong with that. If there is no God, it's just your opinion that that would be wrong. So if you deny God, you deny any rights at all, which means you deny the rights that protect you against theocracies or religious crusaders. Thankfully, Thomas Jefferson saw a middle way from imposing a religious, completely religious viewpoint on people. He saw that we could have objective moral rights in a society and still have religious freedom. 
by citing the moral law, nature's law, natural law in the Declaration of Independence. A lot more right after the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We'll have some questions you can ask people to help you with this right after the break. Don't go anywhere. We're all about education here, friends. I talked to you a little bit in the last segment about many of our online courses at crossexamine.org. Just go there and click on online courses. You'll see it there. But if you really want a degree, uh, an accredited degree, you need to go to SES, Southern Evangelical Seminary. That's where I went. That's where Lisa Childers goes, Melissa Doherty goes, several other people you may know who are apologists. Go to ses.edu forward slash Frank and you can get a scholarship. So check that out there. Uh, that's who I. That's where I recommend you go if you really want to learn the big three: philosophy, apologetics, and theology. Southern Evangelical Seminary, ses.edu forward slash Frank. Okay, let's go back to our discussion here. Are you afraid to speak up against immoral, not just inappropriate, immoral behavior in our society? I mean, how can you hate people more if you don't speak up when they are advocating the destruction of themselves, others, and the entire civilization? I mean, you're enabling them to do that. That's not love. And why should you let someone else's invented morality rule you and your fellow citizens when it violates the morality, God's morality, which properly understood helps people flourish? See, the reason we have to be concerned with this is not just for our ability to preach and live the gospel. That's all part of it. Not just for our own children and our own friends, but for people we don't even know. Because if God exists, and he does, and if the natural law that we know is the objective moral standard, and it is, then that is what helps people flourish. And we ought, we ought want them to flourish, even if they're atheists, even if they don't agree with us. We want to put that moral law out there. Even the famous atheist Nietzsche said this, a man's spirit is determined by how much truth he can tolerate. Yeah, I know some people are not going to want to tolerate the truth that you're providing, but it's your job to do what's right and leave the results to God. That's, that's, what, that's my job. That's your job. You just do what's right and leave the results to God. Now, what are some ways you can do that in as least an offensive way as possible. Well, um, as I, you know, I've just updated a book called Correct Not Politically Correct, How Same-Sex Marriage Hurts Everyone. Actually, the new subtitle is this, Correct Not Politically Correct, About Same-Sex Marriage and Transgenderism. That was the old subtitle. The new one is about trans, uh, same-sex marriage and transgenderism because I have this new section in here on transgenderism. This book, by the way, is written not with Bible verses. It's written by, through, by using natural law, common sense, the medical evidence to show that both transgenderism and... Same-sex marriage are not good for individuals or society. They don't help, ultimately, people flourish. Now, there may be exceptions on occasion, but overall, they don't help societies or individuals flourish. And so, we ought to speak out against it. This book might be helpful, but let me also give you some questions you can ask people. We've covered these questions in different contexts uh, another book you want to get, of course, is Greg Kokel's book, Tactics, and he's writing a new one that comes out in September called Street Smarts. We'll have Greg on 
the air for that. By the way, this is probably the last week you can sign up for CIA, Cross-Examined Instructor Academy, out in Albuquerque, New Mexico next month, uh, July 27, 28, 29, something like. When is it, Jorge? What are the, I always get the dates messed up. Let me see. The dates are uh, for July. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So that would be 27, 28, 29. Uh, and Greg is one of the instructors, as well as Jorge Gill and so many others, Lisa Childers, Natasha Crane, Alan Parr. Anyway, um, you'll hear uh, probably Greg give his first presentation on Street Smarts out there at CIA, Cross-Examined Instructor Academy. We'll probably have two or three seats left. So if you want to sign up, you better do so like now. You better apply right now. Go to crossexamine.org, click on events. You'll see it there. But, you know, Greg has said when you're you're dealing with a controversial issue, the first question you want to ask people is, do you consider yourself a tolerant person, right? Because if they say uh, yes, which they probably will, you can say, great, because if I have an opinion that differs from yours, you'll tolerate it then, right? And then, of course, when they make a statement, you need clarification. What do you mean by that? Oh, all these Christians are bigots. What do you mean by bigotry? What does that mean? As soon as they try and define it, they're going to be in trouble. Are they bigots because they disagree with you? Does that make you a bigot because you disagree with them? No, bigotry is not disagreement. Bigotry is having an opinion on something without any evidence and maybe holding a false position on it and not being open to any, any new evidence. That's bigotry. It's not what Christians are most of the time. We have reasons for our position. It's not bigotry at all. And by the way, if there is no God, what's wrong with bigotry? Even if it was, there's nothing wrong with bigotry if there is no God. You're, you're stealing from God while you're arguing against him. And then, of course, how did you come to that conclusion? What evidence do you have for that position? These are all questions you ought to ask. A couple of weeks ago, uh, well, maybe a month ago now, we did a podcast called Questions You Ought to Ask Your Woke, your woke Boss. I'm just going to, I'm not going to dwell on any of them here. I'm just going to state some of them just to remind you. You know, if, if you work, your woke boss wants you to, to toe the line on some immoral position, you know, the exclusion, diversity, and inclusion stuff. Actually, they've added a letter to EDI. There's, they've added a, a letter J to it. J, Jedi. There's a disturbance in the force, you know. Jedi sounds so good, doesn't it? Uh, justice, equity, diverse, uh, uh, diversity, and inclusion. A friend of mine was at an event here in Charlotte where this guy was... <laughs> The CEO was talking about how he's for for Jedi, justice, equity, diversity and inclusion. I, I wish some employee was there to say, hey, sir, uh, how much does your secretary make? Does she make as much as you? Oh, she doesn't. Oh, you don't believe in equity then. You see, because justice and equity are opposites. Justice is you get what you deserve and equity is everyone gets the same. The Bible is not for equity. And the Bible's for justice, as we just pointed out from Leviticus 19 and other passages. You get what you deserve. You don't get what everyone else gets. You get what you deserve. Even Jesus in the parable of the talents is going to take from the guy that did nothing with his talent and give it to the guy that actually multiplied his talent. That's not equity. That's actually justice. Justice and equity are, are opposites. You can't be for both consistently. Now, we're, we agree we're, we're for equality of, of opportunity to the best of our ability, but not equity, not, not equal outcomes. There's a thousand reasons why people come to different places in life. I mean, for those of you that have brothers and sisters, or if you're a young person, maybe you have aunts and uncles, right? You have, you have kids that grew up in the same home, your parents and, and their siblings. 
are your aunts and uncles, if you're thinking above you, did they wind up in the same place financially, spiritually, economically, socially, psychologically, morally? No, they're brought up in the same home with the same parents. So why do you think that people in different homes with different parents in different circumstances all ought to arrive at the same equal outcome when people who are brought up in the same home with the same parents and the same opportunities wind up with unequal outcomes. Thomas Sowell talks a lot about this. It's madness to even suggest it, to say that all disparities are discrimination. No, they're not. There's a thousand different reasons why people wind up in different places in life. For those of you that are old enough, your brothers and sisters, do they wind up in the same place morally, spiritually, economically, financially, socially, psychologically? No, they, they wind up in different places for a thousand different reasons. Some of them was were because the choices they made or circumstances that occurred to them. And that has nothing to do with discrimination. That doesn't mean that maybe some people have been victims of discrimination. I'm simply saying that not all disparities are caused by discrimination. As Ibram X. Kendi says in his ridiculous book about CRT, not all differences are due to discrimination, as Kendi says. They're not. It's obvious. Anyway, you can ask people questions like, can I ask some questions to get some clarification on our company policies? I'm not questioning anyone's intentions. I think everyone's intentions are good with these policies. I'm just concerned that there may be some unforeseen and unintended consequences. And then ask a bunch of questions. Does this company value tolerance? And then see what they say. Does What does tolerance mean? What does inclusion mean? What does diversity mean? What does equity mean? What does justice mean? Do people who have this, or do, do we all have to have the same political, religious, or moral beliefs to work here? Does the company think it's right to force employees to violate their consciences? Why does the company think it has the medical expertise to order employees to encourage them to stay in their state of gender dysphoria? These are all questions you can ask. And there are more questions. You got to go back and listen to the podcast. I can't go through them all. It's the one we did on. 10 questions to ask your woke boss. By the way, when I asked these questions, when I was fired from Cisco and Bank of America back in 2011 for having written the book, Correct, Not Politically Correct, the one I just updated, even though it was never discussed at work, even though it was never discussed in any of the leadership programs I was running at Cisco or Bank of America, they fired me because I didn't agree with same-sex marriage. And so they set me up with a with the leader at Cisco, the leader of inclusion, tolerance, and diversity. So I asked her questions. What does tolerance mean? What does inclusion mean? What does diversity mean? And why am I being excluded and not tolerated for holding a diverse view on this topic? She couldn't answer any of the questions. She just threw platitudes at me. Because there is no answer. Because tolerance doesn't mean tolerance. Inclusion doesn't mean inclusion. Diversity doesn't mean diversity in corporate America. It means you must see things our way or we will hurt you. We will fire you. So I was fired. That's when I went full-time with crossexamine.org. I was 49 years old. In fact, you know, I was doing both. I was working in corporate America and doing cross-examined at the same time. But that just forced me out because we went public with it. Mike Adams wrote a column called The Cisco Kid. I wrote a column called Sex at Work that explained it. By the way, don't Google that. You'll go right to Harvey Weinstein's website. Uh, just go to crossexamine.org and put in Sex at Work in our search bar, and you'll see the article there. And that article is also in the new edition of Correct, Not Politically Correct about same-sex marriage and transgenderism. Look, if you care about people, you'll want to get them the truth. You'll want to ask them questions. You'll want to 
force them to think about these things they haven't been thinking about. They've been just carried away by the culture and they don't even realize that what they're doing is not only against common sense, it's contradictory and it's hurting people. It's not helping people flourish by claiming you're for inclusion, tolerance, and diversity, and then excluding, not tolerating everyone who has a diverse view against your own. All right, friends. Happy Independence Day. If we can keep our independence from this craziness, you need to speak up in order to do it. I'll see you here on Tuesday at the Midweek Podcast. Look for the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. God bless. See you then.